You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know and send an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. Hey, I wonder, have you ever been um, having a conversation with somebody and everything is good, it's, it, it's going fine, but then they stop out of nowhere and they look around and they lean forward and then they whisper something to you, like they whisper a statement or a question, right? Like you're talking, you're like, oh yeah, man, Mark and Felicia, I saw them the other day. Hey, by the way, are they dating? And you're like, wait, why are you whispering that? Like, why are you whispering that? They're not here, nobody's around, it's just me and you talking, nobody's gonna hear that. Or, or, or maybe you're talking to somebody and you're like, oh yeah, I saw that they got engaged, I saw the ring on Facebook, you saw the picture, that's awesome. Is it real? Right? Like, why do we do that? Another question that we ask is this. Is she pregnant? No, that is the question you should never ask. Never ask that. Don't even whisper it. Just wait till she invites you to a baby shower or nine months from now you see her holding a baby. That's how you know she's pregnant. Do not ever ask, is she pregnant? Uh, but, but sometimes we ask these questions, right? Like, like we lean in and we whisper. And the reason why we whisper things is because we're not sure if it's okay to say it. Like we want to say it, we want to ask it, but we're not sure. And so we, we whisper it. And just like there are questions that we ask in conversation through a whisper, there, there are questions that we have when it comes to God, faith, Jesus, and the Bible that we're not sure if we can ask. We're not sure if it's okay. And so rather than whispering those questions, we just keep silent. We never ask them anyway. And they become these nagging questions in our mind. And so what we're doing in this series is we're doing a five-week series called Questions You Don't Ask in Church. And we're going to break all the rules. We're going to ask those questions. And uh, what we did was we sent out a survey with sample questions, but also we said, hey, what are some questions you have that you feel like you can't ask in church? Because we're going to ask those questions. And then we got a lot of responses from people, and then we, we numbered the responses in order. And so we took the four top questions people had they feel like they can't ask in church, and we're building this series on those four questions. So each week, we're going to talk about one of those questions. Now, it's a five-week series, so the fifth week, what we're going to do is we're going to do an open Q&A, uh, where I'm going to be answering some of the questions that we didn't get a chance to answer in the first four weeks, and we'll give you an opportunity to text in some of your questions, uh, and I'll be answering those. Now, I won't have seen those before. I won't have time to prepare, and so we'll just kind of see how that goes. Um, but I love this series because I'm an inquisitive person. I love asking questions because I love to learn. But more than I love asking questions, I love getting answers. But the answers that I want to get are answers that I know are true, are real. I, I want to know that there's substance behind those answers. Like, I'm not interested in just hearing someone's opinion. I want to know the real answer. And so here's my goal during this series. My goal is, as best as I can, I want to give you the answer for these questions that's not just my opinion. Like, I'm not going to tell you, here's what I think about it. I'm not going to tell you, here's what the church thinks about it. Here's what your grandma thinks about it. Here's what the Pope thinks about it. Instead, I'm going to say, here's what the scriptures say about it. And the reason for that is because if you're a Christian and the scriptures really are the foundation for our authority, it's the word of God to us. And speaking of the scriptures, often when we think about the Bible, uh, many people think of it as this rule book. It has these rules and regulations that we have to live by. And um, 
Because of that, we start to ask the question like, is it okay to do this? Is it, is it wrong for me to do this? Is it a sin for me to do this? And one of the questions that's come up over and over again is, is it okay for me to smoke, drink, cuss, get tattoos, and piercings? Uh, now, there's other things that you can add to that list, um, but we'll just cover those five. And um, I'm gonna answer that, but I don't wanna just give you the answer. Like when I was in math class, if I didn't know the, the answer to a question, I'd raise my hand, the teacher would come over and she had two options. She could either, either tell me what the answer was, and so great, I got the answer, but now when I come across another problem, I don't know how to answer it, so I have to keep getting help. Or she could help me think through how to get the answer. She could, she could um, give me the process by which to arrive at the answer. And oftentimes in math class, they would say, show your work. So what I wanna do today is not just answer your question, uh, but I also wanna show the work. I wanna show you how I arrived at the answer so that in the future when you have other questions like this, you can just know the process and do the research on your own. So the question is, uh, can I smoke, drink, cuss, get tattoos and piercings? And, and by the way, when I first saw that this was one of the top four questions, I thought, ugh. Like, like I, I, how can I preach on this for a whole sermon. Like, I had no idea how I'd preach on this for a whole sermon. I really thought about moving it to the five week, uh, to the fifth week, because I could really answer this in just five minutes. Um, but then, as I started to write, I came up with 20 pages of content. Now, a typical sermon for me is about six to seven pages. Uh, so we're gonna be here for about three hours, all right? <laughs> no, no, but, but so I had to cut it down and I think I got it down to about 10 pages. So I might talk a little fast to try and get through it all. But there's gonna be some stuff I don't answer today. I answer it in the 20 page version, but you don't have time for that. So here's also what I'm gonna be doing uh, during the week, um, every week of this series. Every Wednesday at 12 o'clock, from 12 to 12.30, during your lunch break, I'm gonna do a Facebook Live session where I'll go on and I'll answer some of the questions that might not have been answered previously. I'll also be able to uh, answer some more questions that you might have. So today, um, I'm gonna try and answer this as best as I can. Now, there might still be questions you have where you're like, yeah, but what about and how come this and whatever? I'll answer that on Wednesday, and I've already answered it in the 20-page version. I can't answer it today. So if you tune in uh, this Wednesday, You'll also hear me tell a story about when I was in high school, when I was in high school and what I do with my CD collection. Uh, you'll, you'll hear me talk about this time that I was a youth minister in North Carolina and um, how I had tattoos and piercings and it didn't go over so well. So make sure to tune in, put that on your schedule every Wednesday, 12 to 12.30. Uh, but today, is it okay to smoke, drink, cuss, and get tattoos? And, and, and real quick, before I answer this, um, I wanna let you know, I don't think this is the best question for us to ask. Uh, I think it's an okay question, but I think there's a better question. And I'm gonna give you the better question near the end of the sermon. Uh, and I'm doing that because I wrote the sermon and that's where I put it. So I'll give you a better question to ask later. But is it okay for me to smoke, drink, cuss, and get tattoos? I'm gonna go ahead and give you the quick answer now and then we'll go in depth into each one of these. Uh, the answer is uh, maybe, maybe, no, and sure, why not? Okay, so that's the answer for it. Now, in order for us to really understand this question, I think we need to go back 2,000 years ago to understand something that was taking place in the ancient church of Corinth. So if you have a Bible, uh, bless you, I wanna invite you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse one. Can you keep it quieter next time? 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 
verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, that's all right. We'll have the words right on the screen. But 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Now, here's what was happening 2,000 years ago. Um, in the Roman Empire, which is where Corinth was, uh, 2,000 years ago, even before that and after that, people would worship all sorts of different gods. And one of the ways that they would worship these gods is they would sacrifice food to their idols, these idols that represented their gods. And um, so they would do this in a, in a worship experience. Uh, they would do it maybe at a meal, like before they ate, they would maybe pray to those gods and say, we dedicate this food to you. And sometimes they would just uh, dedicate this food to these gods and then they would sell it in the meat market. And so Christians at the time had this question about this food sacrifice to idols and they said, hey, is it okay for us to eat this? Because we believe in one God and, and if we eat this, this food, is it like we're saying these gods exist? Are we worshiping them? Like, is it okay? What, what, what do we do? How do we navigate through this? And so they asked Paul, who was the person who started the church in Corinth, about this question. And here's how Paul answered in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. He said, the question keeps coming up regarding what has been offered up to an idol. Should you attend meals where such meat is served or not? And skip over to verse 4. He says, so then about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. And so he's answering it here. He's saying, listen, when you eat this food that's sacrificed to idols, know that it's not really sacrificed to anything because there are no other gods. They're not real. And so it's fine for you to eat that meat because it's not really sacrificed to anything. We know that. We get that because there's only one God. So he says, sure, no big deal. Eat it. Don't eat it. It doesn't matter because it's not really sacrificed to anything. But then he says, in verse seven, but not everyone possesses this knowledge. Not everybody understands that. Not, not everybody knows what you know. And some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God. They still believe that food was sacrificed to that God and it's a real thing. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. I can't eat that because it was sacrificed to that God. Well, that's not true, but that's just what they believe. But food doesn't bring us near to God, and we are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Verse nine, but God does care when you use your freedom carelessly in a way that leads a fellow believer still vulnerable to those old associations to be thrown off track. So he's saying, listen, there's no big deal about eating the meat. Eat it, don't eat it, it doesn't matter. But here's what God cares about. When you use your freedom carelessly in a way that leads a fellow believer still vulnerable to those old associations to be thrown off track. For instance, he says, say you flaunt your freedom by going to a banquet thrown in honor of idols where the main course is meat sacrificed to idols. Now we all know there's nothing to that. It's no big deal. That's what he's telling them. But isn't there a great danger of someone still struggling over this issue? Someone who looks up to you as knowledgeable and mature sees you go into that banquet? The danger is that he'll become terribly confused, maybe even to the point of getting mixed up himself in what his conscience tells him it is wrong. So the idea is maybe somebody sees you go into that meal and they think, wait, but I thought that was wrong. Well, they're going, so maybe it's not wrong. And you know you're going to eat this meat, but it's just meat. It's just filet mignon that's cooked medium rare. Yes. And, but they don't know that. They think that meat, because they think these gods are still real, they think it's sacrificial. And so if they go and they eat, it's like against their conscience and it becomes sin for them. 
So you're leading them astray by the example that you're setting. He says, Christ gave up his life for that person. Wouldn't you at least be willing to give up going to dinner for him? Because as you say, it doesn't really make any difference, but it does make a difference if you hurt your friend terribly, risking his eternal ruin. And so when you hurt your friend, you hurt Christ. A free meal here and there isn't worth it at the cost of even one of these weak ones. So never go to these idle-tainted meals. If there's any chance, it will trip up one of your brothers or sisters. And so Paul says, yeah, it's fine to eat that. Don't worry about whether you eat the meat or not. Here's what I want you to be concerned about, your example. The example that you set, because it might be okay for you, but it might not be okay for someone else. And somebody is looking at your life. And the question you have to ask is, is my life leading people closer to Jesus or further apart from Jesus? It might be okay for me to do this, but it might not be the best thing for me to do. And then he brings up this quote that was being said at the time. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. He said, I have the right to do anything, you say. So people were going around in Corinth and they were saying, we can do whatever we want, YOLO. I have the right to do anything. And he said, okay, yeah, sure, sure. That might be true. That might be true. You have the right to do anything. But then he says, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything is constructive. I know you can, but should you? No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And and, and there's another time where he he brings this up earlier in the letter, and he, he quotes it again. He says, I have the right to do anything. Okay, you keep saying that. You keep saying that. But not everything is beneficial. And then he gives them another application. I have the right to do anything. That's what you keep saying. You keep quoting this, this quote. But I will not be mastered by anything. You might have the right to do anything, but I'm not gonna be mastered by anything. So if it's gonna master me, I'm not gonna do it. And then he gives us a principle to live by. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. He says, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Ultimately, what Paul is saying is the way I live isn't always about me. It's not always about what's right or wrong for me, but am I setting an example that's gonna help others or hurt others? He said, live in such a way that you draw people closer to Jesus. So uh, as we think through this, this needs to be our foundation. He said, in everything you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so uh, let's go ahead and answer each one of these questions one by one. So the first question is this, is it okay to drink? And the answer is maybe, maybe because I don't know your background. I don't know your history. And so if you've struggled with alcohol before, then it's probably not the best idea for you to drink. But, but also, you need to consider the people around you. If they've struggled with alcohol before, maybe it's not the best idea for you to drink around them. Now, there's nothing wrong with drinking. Nowhere in the scriptures do we see that drinking is a sin. Now, we do see that drunkenness is a sin, but not drinking. Um, here's, here's some evidence that points to it. And by the way, when you have questions like this, what we want to do is we want to look to the scriptures and we want to see, is it outright condemned? If not, are there principles that I need to know to live by? And then what do those principles mean for my life? So here's how we know that drinking isn't wrong. Uh, In John chapter two, Jesus is at this wedding at, at a place called Cana and they run out of wine. And so Jesus turns water into wine. And when Jesus turns water into wine, he makes the best wine ever. 
Like, Jesus brings the good stuff to the party, right? And if drinking was wrong, he never would have done that. Also, we see that Jesus himself drank. Uh, There's a time in Luke chapter 7 that he's accused of being drunk. Now, Jesus lived a sinless life. He never sinned, so he never got drunk. But because he was drinking, people thought he's getting drunk. Here's, and, and, and here's what Jesus said to the people who were accusing him. He said, John the Baptist came neither eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. There's something wrong with him. He's, he doesn't eat and drink like everybody else. And he said, the son of man, now he's referring to himself, came eating and drinking, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. The reason why Jesus drank is because the people around him drank, and it opened doors for him to be able to witness to them. And he was able to do it, again, because drinking is not a sin. But he was also able to control himself and to stop before it was too much. And so drinking is not a sin. But we do see that drunkenness is a sin. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And so drunkenness is a sin. And this is a really big deal. This isn't like, hey, I'm just going out with the girls to get hammered. This isn't like, come on, let's go to the club, I'll call us an Uber. No, like, like drunkenness is a sin, and it's a big deal because Jesus died for our sins. Our sins drove Jesus to the cross. Our sin is what separates us from God. Now, if you're a Christian, you've been forgiven of your sins through the grace of God because you've accepted the gift Jesus gave you on the cross, But drunkenness is a sin. And so if you're a Christian, drunkenness has no part in your life because we want to avoid what's separated us from God. I want to give you one more thing, just just one more way to think about alcohol. Um, and, and, And this is, I think, a really high standard to have. Uh, I used to have this standard. Um, I used to not drink before. I drink now. Um, I can control it. Uh, Drinking, again, is not a sin. I actually make my own hard cider and mead. Um, And so if you want some, we have samples at the back. You can, I'm just just joking, we don't. Um, But, so there's nothing wrong with this, right? Uh, 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 According to the scriptures. But I want to give you another way to view alcohol. Um, Now, this is said by a king's mom. And so this king, his mom is like giving him some advice. And, and here's what she says. It's in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 1. Proverbs 31 isn't just about a virtuous woman, but it's about alcohol too. Proverbs 31, verse 1. The sayings of King Lemuel, an inspired utterance his mother taught him. Listen, my son. Listen, son of my womb. Listen, my son. The answer to my prayers. Do not spend your strength on women, your vigor on those who ruin kings. So... Right here she's saying this, if you don't spend your strength on, on, on women, then you might have 99 problems, but won't be one. Just, if you don't, just, that's what she's saying. That's where Jay-Z got it. Verse four, she says this, it is not for kings, Lemuel. Remember who you are, you're a king. It's not for kings to drink wine, nor for rulers to crave beer, 
lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. Let beer be for those who are perishing. Let wine be for those who are in anguish. Mixed drinks are for anybody, but (laughs) beer and wine perishing and... Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. It's like, what's he saying to her son? So I want you to remember who you are. You're a king. You've been called to a higher standard. Let other people drink beer and wine. Let that, but, but you live at a higher standard. And so this is what she's saying. And for me, when I read that, I was convicted. I said, yeah, I want to live at that standard. I've since lowered my standards, but... Uh, <laughs> But maybe this is something where you say, you know what, I need to live by that for a while. And that's the standard I need to live at. Now, if everybody doesn't live at that standard, don't judge them. Don't look down on them. Because again, there's nothing wrong with drinking. But we do see over and over again that drunkenness is a sin and we should avoid it. Uh, so this is drinking. Now, uh, the, so, so the answer to is it okay to drink, the, the answer is maybe, it depends. Now the question is, is it okay to smoke? And the answer for that is maybe. I don't know, maybe, it might be. Now in the scriptures, smoking is never condemned. The, the Bible doesn't say anything about smoking, uh, but it also doesn't say anything about smoking crack either. <laughs> and the reason is because the Bible isn't a rule book. It's not a morality book that God said, I gotta give them a rule book. But the Bible lets us know that there's a God who loves us and has been pursuing us all our life to call us into a relationship with him. That is the message of the Bible. God was not in heaven saying, how can I make them be good little boys and girls? The Bible's not a rule book, so we don't see anything about smoking, but we do see some principles about addictions. So the Bible doesn't condemn smoking, but it does condemn addictions. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, again, going back to that, Paul said, okay, you say I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, you say, but then he says, but I won't be mastered by anything. See, for a lot of people, when it comes to smoking, uh, they're mastered by it. They're addicted to the nicotine or even chewing tobacco. They, they can't stop. And, and here's how you know you're addicted to something. You can't stop. You, you have to have it. And so if you, if, if you can say no, then you're not addicted. But if you have to have it, you're addicted, and it has a hold of your life. And this is called idolatry. Idolatry is when our life centers around something other than God. And if this is something that has got to be in your life, you cannot get rid of it, you're addicted. And the thing is, Jesus didn't come so that you could be a slave to this addiction. Jesus came to set you free, Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And so if it controls you, stop being its slave. And I know it's easier for me to say than for you to do, but you have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living inside of you. If his spirit raised him from the dead, I think he can help you stop chewing and smoking. I know it's hard, but you can do it. You can do it. Now, if if it doesn't control you, if it's not an addiction, sure, smoke a cigar, smoke a pipe, have cigarettes. But if it controls you, God set you free for a better life than to be addicted to something. Now, as you talk about smoking in our culture, the question inevitably comes up, um, what about smoking Mary Jane? Is it okay for me to smoke the sticky, icky, icky? (laughs) 
Now, when you smoke the reefer, you do it to get high. Now, listen, I know that there's medical benefits and things like that, all sorts of research, but for most of us, if we're asking this question, we're asking for recreational purposes. And when you, when you smoke the endo, you're doing it so that, so that you can get intoxicated. It's high, but it's called marijuana intoxication. It's a different kind of intoxication than drunkenness, but it's still intoxication. And so all the verses about drunkenness would still apply. So if you're smoking a doobie for intoxication purposes and getting high, then, then that's wrong. That's a sin. Also, the other principle here is that as a Christian, we're called to obey the laws of the Lamb. Romans chapter 13 Verse one says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which is God, God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequence, consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So what that means is here in Virginia, the ganja is illegal, right? Federally, um, Trying to think of another word for it. Uh, federally, smoking roaches is illegal. Now, I know it's legal in some states, but federally, it's illegal. So the question is, is it okay for me to smoke weed? The, the answer is, if you're doing it in Virginia and you're doing it to get high, then no, it's wrong. Now, if you're in Cambodia where it's legal and you're not doing it to get high, then I don't know. Uh, <laughs> But that's not our life. Unless you're visiting there sometimes, some of you are like, I'm going on vacation. Uh, but you know, and, and maybe you say, yeah, but what about that verse in Genesis where God gave us all the seed-bearing plants for us to use? No, it says God gave us all the seed-bearing plants for us to eat for food. So if you're eating the hash and you're not getting high, okay, fine. But if you're, if you're eating the wacky tobacco baked in brownies, to get high, then that's, no, you can't, you can't. That's, that's, that's sin. So, um, and here's the thing. If, if you have a question about that, just put it to the pastor test, right? Like, I'm a regular person just like you, but, but my position is as your pastor, and so my position is to lead you in the way of God. And so just imagine, what if I came over to your house and, and I was uh, smoking a doobie, right? You, you'd, you'd be like, hey, pastor, what are you doing? You're supposed to be doing it. And I'm like, oh, man, it's all good. I'm just smoking a little weed. You'd be like, Pastor, I don't know if you're supposed to be doing that. Now, now listen, listen. If it, would, if it would lessen the impact I have in your life, if it would change the example I set for you, if you would look down on me in any way, then I shouldn't be doing it. Because, again, it might be okay. I don't know. I don't think so. But just because it's okay doesn't mean it's beneficial, and if you say, yeah, but you're a pastor, you're held to a higher standard, I would say, yeah, I know, but you're a Christian and you're called to be holy like I'm called to be holy. And so, so we just, we just have, that, have that standard, right? And so is it okay to smoke? Maybe, I don't know. But just because everything is beneficial doesn't mean, just because you could put poison ivy on your steak doesn't mean you should do it, right? So... Is it okay to smoke? Maybe, I don't know. Now, here, here's the next question. Is it okay to cuss? I gotta fly through these. I'm, I'm wasting too much time having fun with you. Is it okay to cuss? And the answer, I have a definite answer for you on this, and the answer is no. No, it's not okay to cuss. Uh, wait, so are you saying that cussing is a sin? Yeah. Say what? 
Yeah, it is. Colossians chapter three, verse five, it says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Did you catch it? He said, don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put it on the new self and and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Now, this is a tough one because sometimes what happens is um, when we read something like that, we're like, yeah, but does it really mean that? And so I want to, and this one's a tough one. So the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. And sometimes when we translate from Greek to English, meaning can be lost a little bit. So I want to give you what the the word that's used here in Greek for filthy language literally means. You're going to want to write this down. You guys ready? So the Greek word for filthy language, here's what it literally means. Filthy language, right? It's profanity. It's, It's curse words. And listen, here's the thing. We all know what profanity is. Sometimes when, when you talk about this with somebody, they're like, yeah, but what about, listen, you know what profanity is. And if you gotta ask about it, you probably shouldn't say it. I mean, even our society knows what profanity is. That's why there's explicit content ratings on, on music. That's why there's rating systems in movies. Like our society, who isn't even like a Christian society, knows what profanity is. And we're called to rid filthy language from our lips. And here's why. Jesus said in Luke chapter six, verse 45, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Another translation says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if you use foul words, it means you got a foul heart. But if you're a Christian, God has raised you to new life. He's cleaned you up. He's made you new. And so this is a difficult one for a lot of people because a lot of people cuss like sailors. And the reason for some of you is because you are sailors, <laughs> right? And you're surrounded by it all the time. And you're like, yep, just living up to my reputation, you know? And so I get it, right? This is a tough thing. But it was difficult for me too because back in middle school and high school, uh, cursing was just like a second language for me. But then I stopped. And I hadn't cussed for the past 20 years. And I wanna show you how I did it. Here's what I did first. I saw this passage in the scriptures and I was convicted by it. And I said, okay, so if that's how I used to live, I'm raised to new life now. I need to put to death whatever was in my old life. I'm just gonna take the scriptures seriously. It says, put this to death. So I was convicted by it. I said, okay, I need to get rid of this. This cursing has no place in my mouth any longer. And so I need to stop this. But it was a habit. It was difficult for me to stop. It would have been easier for me to say, yeah, I know it says that, but I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do. But I couldn't do that because I made Jesus the leader of my life. And if he's gonna lead me, I need to follow. So it's almost like whatever he says goes, right? By the way, if you're a Christian, that's what you've done. You've said, Jesus, you're gonna be the leader of my life. So you might say some things I don't like, I don't care for. You might say some things that are difficult for me to do, for me to follow, but I am following you because you are the leader. You know better than me. And so I'm gonna follow you. I wonder, are there any areas in your life you need to hand over to Jesus and say, it'd be way easier for me to keep doing what I'm doing, but your word says not to. 
you calling me to something else. And so I'm gonna make you the leader. Well, I was convicted by this. And so I said, okay, well, I need to stop cussing. So here's what I did. I took a rubber band, just like this rubber band. I put it on my wrist. And every time I said a cuss word, I would snap it. I'm not gonna snap it because it hurts. Um, but every time I said a cuss word, I would snap it on my wrist. And I wanna let you know, I became real aware of the words that I used. And after about a week of having a sore red wrist, I overcame cussing altogether because I just realized it wasn't worth it. And so that's what I did. I had, to, I had to create a new system for me to become more aware of the things I was saying. And ultimately I said, okay, this is not proper for me as a Christian to have because that was part of my old life and I'm told to get rid of it now in my new life. Also, again, just think about cussing with the pastor test. If I, if I came to you one day and I was like, hey, what's up, mother? What? How y'all doing? You know? And I was like, hey, um, did y'all catch a what game last night? Man, it was what? Unbelievable. They scored at the what last second? You'd be like, uh, <laughs> did you just say what I think you said? <laughs> Right? Again, if, if it's not good for me to say it, don't, don't you say it. If I said it from stage, what would you think? I'm not going to, but, but what would you think? So again, we're called to the same standard of holiness. So the question is, is it okay to cuss? The answer is no. Well, how about tattoos and piercings? And I'm, I'm gonna answer this together. How about tattoos and piercings? And the answer for that is sure, why not? But doesn't it say in the Bible? Yep, it does. And so I'm gonna show you where it is and I'm gonna show you what the Bible says about tattoos uh, and piercings. Uh, first, before we look at this, we need to understand the context that this command was written in. Um, so first, the Bible was written to real people in real places at real times. And God, in the Old Testament, lays out his law. We find the law of God in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. And so we see the law of God, 613 laws that God gives the nation of Israel to live by. And he gives them these laws because God has selected Israel to be his chosen representatives in the world. And what he wants to do is he wants to set them apart from everybody else. This is called holiness. Holiness is to be set apart, to be different. So God said, you're my representatives. I want you to be different and set apart. I'm gonna give you this law. And as you live out this law, it will make you separate and different. And here are some of the things that God includes in the law. Uh, Leviticus chapter 19, verse three. He says, each of you must respect your mother and father and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. Verse 11, do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Now, with all those commands, we'd look at them and be like, yeah, those are pretty good. We probably shouldn't do those things. But then there's some other things that God gives in the same list. Leviticus 19, 19. He says, don't plant your field with two kinds of seeds. Don't wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Don't eat any meat with the blood still in it. Don't practice divination or seek omens. Don't cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip the edges of your beard. Sorry, ladies. Um, don't cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. So there it is. Don't put tattoo marks on yourselves. Now, the question we have to answer is, is that applicable to us today? Again, God was writing, giving the law to Israel to set them apart 
from the rest of the world. And one of the practices that was going on at the time is there were pagan religions that were tattooing themselves as part of their worship or as part of their uh, acknowledging uh, a false god. And so God says to Israel, I don't want you to be like that. I don't want for you to mix the practices of these pagan religions uh, in with the way that you live. So don't put tattoo marks on yourself. Now, as we read through that list, you might look and say, well, hold on now, because there's some stuff in there that's really good, and then there's some stuff that's really weird, right? Like, we're probably thankful that we don't live by this thing about not wearing um, two, two different blended shirts, right? Like, if you got a cotton poly blend on, you're wrong, right? You got tomatoes and squash in your garden, sorry, not going to happen. Don't plant your field with two kinds of seed. So, so the question we need to ask is, hold on, wait, wait, how come we live by some of those things, and we don't live by some of those things? And here's, here's how we know. First, in uh, John chapter, or Matthew chapter five, Jesus said, I have come to fulfill the law. So there was the old covenant law that was given to Israel, and if they wanted to have a relationship with God, they had to be perfect. The way they needed to be perfect was to keep that law. Jesus said, I've come not to get rid of it, but to fulfill it. I am the fulfillment of the law. I am going to live the perfect life you cannot live. And then I'm going to give my life so my life will apply to everyone's life. So if you follow me, if you believe in me, if you accept me, then my life will apply to your life. My perfect life will be stamped on your life so that when God sees you, he doesn't see your imperfection, but he sees my perfection. So Jesus said, I have come to fulfill the law. So he fulfilled the law for us. So we don't have to fulfill the law. We don't have to live by the law because he lived by it. And it's applied to us. So here's the principle that we have. Anything in the Old Testament that's reinforced in the New Testament, we live by. Anything in the Old Covenant before Jesus that's reinforced in the New Covenant after Jesus, we live by. Anything not reinforced has been fulfilled by Jesus, and therefore we don't need to live by it anymore because he already lived by it for us. So... This business about don't steal, it's reinforced in the New Testament. Don't lie, reinforced in the New Testament. Don't deceive one another, reinforced in the New Testament. But this thing about uh, trimming the edge of your beard or wearing uh, clothes with two kinds of material or even getting tattoos is not reinforced in the New Testament. So Jesus already fulfilled all of that for us. Does this make sense? Now, when it comes to piercing, nothing is mentioned in the scriptures condemning piercing. We see piercing happening. There's a time in Genesis chapter 24 where Abraham's servant finds a wife for Isaac, and when he goes to her, he gives her a nose ring. It's just a, custom of, it's just a cultural custom. There's another time in um, Exodus 21 and Deuteronomy 15 where it says that if a servant wanted to stay a servant, then the master would pierce his ear. And so that's it, but it's never condemned. It's never uh, celebrated. It just is what it is. And so nowhere in the New Testament do we see uh, this condemned. Now, when you talk to people about piercings and tattoos, sometimes they point to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. And here's what it says. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So what happens is sometimes people point to that and they say, well, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, therefore we should take care of it. And I would say, yeah, exactly. But then they would say, and that's why you shouldn't get tattoos or get pierced. 
But the problem is we take that out of context. See, when Paul wrote this, he was writing to the people in Corinth about having sex with temple prostitutes. See, what happens is people would go to this temple of some other god, and they would have sex with a prostitute there to show worship uh, towards that god. Uh, We don't do that now, just so you know, okay? (laughs) So people would do this, right? And he's saying, no, 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 your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. When you have sex with this prostitute, you're uniting the Holy Spirit with this prostitute. That should not be done. So honor your body with with what you do, because what you do with your body matters. Or honor God with your body, because what you do with your body matters. That's the context he's talking about. He's not talking about um, putting something on your body. Uh, He's not talking about um, piercing your body, but he's saying what you do with your body and how you engage with someone else matters. Now, here's what I find interesting, though, um, with this passage, Um, and and, and this is is the problem. I'll explain the problem, but first I'll give you the example. Sometimes people who point to this passage to condemn someone who has piercings or tattoos, the same person who's pointing that out will take four trips to the Golden Corral buffet line and never exercise in their life. Like if our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, you need to take care of it better, right? And maybe they would respond by saying, well, I'm just building God a mansion. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. And so if you respond that way, okay, fine. But if you get tattoos and piercings, you're just decorating the walls, right? So there you go. But here's why I say this. Because what many people do is they hold up the scriptures as a window through which to view other people and judge them. The scripture should be used as a mirror by which we look at ourselves and judge ourselves and we become better because of what it says. We do not use the Bible to bash other people. We do not use the Bible to judge other people because you want to talk about what's wrong with somebody else? Okay, let's talk about what's wrong with you. Oh, you don't like that now? Okay. Just saying. If you're perfect, throw some rocks. If you're not perfect... You better keep the rocks to yourself. But if you look at this passage to judge people who have tattoos and piercings, again, nowhere do we see it reinforced in the New Testament that it's a sin. And so we're taking this passage out of context uh, by talking about it and labeling it as a sin. So that's that's, uh, that's how, how we should view that. Now, here are the answers. Is it okay to smoke, drink, cuss, get tattoos and piercings? The answer is maybe, maybe, no, and sure, why not? But now that you know that, here's, here's what I, I think. I don't think your life is gonna be any better because of this. Like I think for, for most of us, this doesn't really matter. I, I think for a lot of us, when we think about this, like this doesn't change our life. Okay, great, we got some information, we got some knowledge, but so what? Here's, here's what I think is a better question for us to ask. Not is it okay to get tattoos and piercing, smoke, drink, and cuss. A better question is this. What's the wise choice for me to do? What's the wise choice for me to do? In light of my past experience, my current circumstances, and future hopes, what is the wise choice for me to do? Again, drunkenness is a sin, we don't engage in it. Being addicted to something is a sin, we don't engage in it. We're we're not gonna be addicted. But what is the wise choice for me to do? In light of my past experience, you know, it's hard for me to say no to something. Is it okay for me to drink? Well, what's the wise choice? 
You know, once I start, I just can't stop. Is it okay for me to smoke? Well, what's the wise choice? I plan on being a teacher one day. Is it okay for me to get a tattoo on my neck? Well, what's the wise choice? In light of your past experience, current circumstances, and future hopes and dreams, what is the wise choice? Also, another better question is this. By me engaging in this, will it help lead people closer to Jesus or push them away from Jesus? When I do this, will it bring people closer to Jesus or not? What is the wise choice? And listen, here's what this is not. The purpose of this is not to give you a list of rules and and regulations. The, The purpose of this is not so we become good little boys and girls and we can check off the box and say, yep, I'm doing this. Yep, I'm not doing this. The purpose of this is not so you feel guilty or shameful. The purpose of this, like God is not in heaven thinking, ah, they got drunk. Ah, they got high. Ah, they did something wrong and he's like marking it off and counting it against us because the truth is God doesn't count your sins against you because he paid for them on the cross 2,000 years ago. Jesus took everything you've ever done in your life and he paid for it on the cross. God expects more failure than you expect from yourself and he still loves you. He still accepts you. He still calls you by name. He still says you're his son or his daughter. This is not about a guilt trip. This is not a list of do's and don'ts. This is about grace, grace. Grace is getting the opposite of what we deserve. And if you're currently addicted right now, God doesn't stand in judgment at you and wag his finger and say, what's wrong with you? God says, I'll be your strength to overcome. If alcohol has the best of you right now, God doesn't say, what's wrong with you? I wish you would get your act straight. But God says, you got a problem, I can be the solution. If if foul language flows from your mouth like a river, God's not up in heaven plugging his ears saying, I can't hear you. But he's saying, I'll give you words of life to speak if you'll trust me. The purpose of this is not to guilt and shame and say, well, here's what I can and here's what I can't do. The purpose of this is to say, what is the wise choice? Because ultimately, God gives us rules and regulations and standards so that we can live the best life ever. God gives us rules and regulations so that we can live boldly and freely, so that we can live in such a way where we point people to Jesus. And so my hope for you today is that if you need help, you'd get help. If you have a problem, you admit that you have a problem. That's the first step. If you need to go to AA, go to AA. If you need to go to NA, go to NA. The way you overcome this is not to beat yourself up over it, but to give yourself grace and seek help. Put yourself in new environments. Maybe you just gotta go to some of your friends and say, guys, I can't hang out with you on Friday nights anymore. I love it, I love you guys, but I can't control myself. It's not you, it's me. I gotta change something. So maybe you gotta change your environment. Maybe you gotta change the system that you have in place. For me to stop cussing, I had to institute a new system to overcome the words that were coming out of my mouth. Maybe instead of taking a smoke break, you need to take a walk break. Maybe instead of chewing tobacco, you chew gum. I don't know, or maybe you chew lint because it tastes the same, I don't know. But you gotta change what you're doing. 
Because it's easy, it's easy, it's easy for us to come and hear all that stuff and say, okay, yeah, great, and go back to the life we're living. Because here's the thing, right and wrong doesn't motivate us to change. I mean, it should, but that stopped working when we were four years old, right? Because we know things are wrong, but we still do them anyway. I, I know it's wrong to speed, but I do it. Now, I don't do speed, but I speed on the, I go above the speed limit. I, I know it's wrong technically for me to take my own food into the movie theater, but I can hide it really well. I'll get away with it. They won't ever know. I know it's wrong to get a water cup of Panera and then get soda. I don't do that anymore. Stop judging me, but I used to. I know it's wrong, but just because I know it's wrong, that doesn't motivate me to change. Here's what motivates me to change. When I say, what is a wise choice? In light of my past history, in light of my current circumstances right now, and in light of what I want to experience in the future, I want to be old enough to see my grandkids grow up. And the smoking addiction isn't going to help me do that. So I need to kick it. I don't want to have trouble with the law, have my license revoked, get into an accident where I live and I take somebody else's life because I drink too much. So I need to limit that. In light of my past history, current circumstances, future hopes, dreams, and desires, what is the wise choice? And then finally, is this going to bring people closer to Jesus or further away from them? Is this going to help people or hurt people? Because ultimately, we should be the kind of people who say whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we're doing it all for the glory of God. <laughs> Ultimately, like Paul said, we need to be able to say in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I might not get it right all the time. I might mess up. I will make mistakes, but I'm following Jesus. And thank God for his grace. I want to live in such a way where you see what I have and you say, I want it. So is what I'm doing bringing people closer to Jesus or further away from him? So I just want to ask you two questions as I close today. The two questions are this. What is God saying to you? Go ahead and write it down. What is God saying to you? As he's spoken to you through this message, what is God saying to you? Maybe it's that you need to stop being so judgmental towards other people. Maybe you know some people who are, who are dealing with some of these things, addiction, alcoholism, whatever it is, and you keep nagging them, but instead you need to change your approach. You need to love them and support them and be there for them. Maybe you're dealing with one of these things yourselves. Maybe there's conviction. What, what is God saying to you? What has God spoken to you this morning? And it's great to know that. But now the, the second question is this, what are you gonna do about it? What are you gonna do about it? What's gonna change as a result of today? Because it might be okay, it might be fine, but is it the wise choice? What are you gonna do about it? Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray you were inspired and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, Sign up to serve on a team, join a group, or just find out more information on The Rising, visit us at wearetherising.com.